0: 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears... Interesting phrase, right? Oh, man. Just got to scratch that. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth, and will wander off into myths. One more time. Cody, you recording, right? Awesome. For the, by the way, we lose less recordings now that I'm not as involved in the sound booth. I'm just pointing that out. I'm not good at multitasking. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is the word of the Lord. I I love that. Just reading that to you, I heard you begin to interact and say, the time is coming. Is it now? I heard you say it. Is it now? I think it's now. I think it's now. I read a book a few years ago called Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. The entire book was about the deeply ingrained human tendency for self justification. That what we choose, we then convince ourselves we chose right. And even if we can be shown we were wrong, we still convince ourselves. Well, it was an honest mistake. Amazing. Humans are very resistant, in other words, to recognizing our mistakes. Title of the book Mistakes Were Made, But Not by Me. Fascinating and fantastic. Uh, by the way, that was taken from corporate speak. Say a large company does something. Say a government does something. And we make a big, big mistake. Then we find a way to blame shift off the responsibility from me, the one who made the decision, to the people who were informing me of the situation on the ground. Well, mistakes were made. I was misinformed. I was misled. Some of the people that we were leaning on Gave us conflicting information. Mistakes were made, but not by me. Just fascinating. Police doing research into crime, once they got a hunch that someone was guilty, they stuck to the idea that person was guilty, no matter what evidence, even DNA came to light to show they weren't. And it's not trying to point out cops are bad. It's trying to say humans are bad at doing truth problems. We're bad at it. We, we, we misremember our actual life. We misremember our actual life. Though when we tell the story of what happened, if we misremember a detail and tell it wrong, our brain will eventually store the information the way we told it rather than the way it happened. We're bad at truth, guys. Humans are not good at this thing called truth. Truth. And when we have a vested interest, you know what I mean by a vested interest? When we are emotionally invested in an outcome, when we want a certain outcome badly enough, we're really good at bending the facts we we deem relevant to believe what we want to believe so we can do what we want to do. And that's what this verse is talking about, that... The time is coming, says Paul, when people will no longer stomach the confrontational, inconvenient, costly truths the gospel presents them with, but instead they will have an appetite to get what they want, and in order to make that feel morally and rationally and ethically justified, they'll bend the story in their mind so that I can feel comfortable doing what I want to do. There will always be a strong temptation to reduce or remove the moral cutting edge of kingdom living in order to make Christianity more socially acceptable. Do you understand what I've just said? Do you agree with what I've just said? There will always be a strong temptation to reduce or remove the moral cutting edge of kingdom living to make Christianity more acceptable. In other words, we have a tendency to, instead of letting the gospel change us, changing the gospel so that it stops trying to mess with us. Instead of letting the Bible conflict with and confront my lifestyle, my beliefs, my choices, a strong temptation is for me to rethink what I believe about what this book says to escape from its imposing, annoying interruptions to my agenda. Are you with me? So Jesus actually says, you know, I'm living in John right now. So Jesus says, if anyone sets themselves to do God's will, he'll know the truth. That your knower is connected to what you seek in your heart, what you love. And that if you seek and love the wrong things, you won't be able to know the right things. That the heart is what chooses and the mind is what rationalizes the choice. That unless the heart is pure, the mind can't have light flooding it. That only the pure in heart see God. Are you with me? So Jesus says to the people who despised him and wanted to kill him, you have no place for you and there's no place, there's no space in you for my word. You're seeking the wrong things. You're not seeking the glory of God. You're seeking your own glory. You're seeking to be justified in your own heart and your own community. You want the praise of people. You want to be viewed a certain way, and you want to, want to get what you want. No wonder you hate me. You don't know the Father because you're seeking the wrong things. you got God on the mouth, good theology on the mind, and your heart is completely dead toward God. You're in the Bible six hours a day, and you're a jerk, and you don't know God, and you're going to hell. Fascinating. By the way, that's not a plug saying the Bible won't help. That's saying if your motives are wrong, not even the Bible will help. Heart is everything. So Jesus says, it's written of me in the scroll, I have come to do your will. Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. That's, amazing. that's the prophetic tradition in the Old Testament. Repeatedly in the Old Testament, the God who commanded the sacrifices to be given in a specific and careful way is the same God who inspired the prophets to say, sacrifices and offerings were never what you wanted. What you wanted was obedience to your voice. Amen. The same God who commanded the sacrifices said there's something more important than the sacrifices, and that's the reality those things symbolize. What does the altar symbolize, friends? Where's the real temple? So where's the real altar? Heart. What's the real sacrifice? Yes, my yes, my love for you, Father. The God who commands the outward ritual is much more interested in relationship. And if we miss the relationship, it's possible to have ritual and still hate God. But justify everything we're doing as pleasing to the Lord, so that when the Son of God shows up, we want to kill Him and accuse Him of breaking the Sabbath and not being a, a godly person and having a demon. Are you with me? Yeah. How do the people of the Bible get there? Uh-huh. Selfishness still on the throne selfishness still on the throne. There's really only two kingdoms. It's not really the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. It is. But the kingdom of Satan has another name. It's the kingdom of self. All you got to do to be satanic is live for yourself, for your pleasures, for what you want, what you think, what you feel. And we're all formed in a culture And every time the Bible lands on every culture, there are things in the culture that come in that's acceptable. There are things in the culture that have to change, and then there's things in the culture that have to be discarded. More on that later. So the world cannot hate you, says Jesus, John chapter 7. The world cannot... This is what he says to his little brothers. No, to his brothers. I don't know if they were little brothers. His brothers are goading. They don't believe in him, so they say... Aren't you going to go out in public and do this stuff in public? Don't you want to be seen as the real Messiah? If you want to be seen as the Messiah, why aren't you going up to the, to the festival? Why aren't you going? For not even his brothers believed in him. And then he says this back to his brothers. He says, Anytime's good for good to you. The world can't hate you, but it hates me because I testify about the world that its deeds are evil. I'm just telling you right now. I feel, no, nope, that's the wrong statement. Let me try it again. I believe, there we go, that's better. I believe that many of us want to make Jesus so acceptable to the world because we really want people to know Jesus. And that's a good thing, right? But we're so concerned with people liking Jesus that we wrongly assume that if we correctly present him, they'll like him. There are people who will like Jesus. Do you know who they are? The people who are ready to throw everything else away to get him. Jesus said, the world hates me because I testify that its deeds are evil. Its deeds are evil. Jesus doesn't just come with a message of I love you. He comes with a message of I love you You have to change everything and start over and sell out and love me more than everything else in your life or you will never see the kingdom of God. Your deeds are evil. You have to start over and relinquish the leadership role of your life. You are living a hell on earth. So some people's Christianity is 100% focused on uh, eternal life insurance, saving people from hell later after they die. The kingdom of God is concerned with what are your current allegiances, what powers are dominating your life, and what are the things your heart and real life is operating out of? What are your relationship connections out of which your life is flowing? What are you seeking to make you happy in life? What are you working for? What are you living from? What is the emotional, psychological center of your being? That's what the kingdom is worried about. That's what Jesus' teachings talk about. He's concerned about this life. Eternal life's about now and forever. Eternal life's not just life that lasts forever. It's life that comes from God. He's very, very much about saving us from the hell on earth and forever of us in charge, of us on the throne of our heart. Are you understand what I'm talking about? So this message of Jesus that says you need to relinquish control, it's not saying humanity is wretched and disgusting and sinful. That's not his message. He's saying humanity has the wrong center and has become wretched and disgusting and selfish and evil. But your essential human nature was created good. That's a talk for a different time, isn't it? Where I'm saying, the Western church, I don't agree with their doctrine of the fall. That's a talk for a different time. But every single time the gospel lands on a culture, there are three things that happen. If you're a note taker, these would be the kind of words that I would write down. Three things that happen every time the gospel Encounters a different culture. Number one, affirm. There are things in every culture that are actually as God intended. And those things, when the kingdom bumps into that culture, those things become affirmed. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? That when 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 we bring Jesus to somebody, they don't shed everything about their culture and become a new thing culturally. If you're American and you learn to follow Jesus, you'll still be an American. If you're African-American and you have urban hip-hop culture and you love Jesus, you're still going to be African-American hip-hop, urban culture, and love Jesus. If you're a hick from West Virginia and you love bluegrass music, you're still going to be a hick from West Virginia loving bluegrass music and serving Jesus. Jesus is not in the erasing culture business. He's in the redeeming culture business. Culture's not bad. The diversity of culture, every tongue, tribe, nation, and language, is meant to be reflected in the kingdom. It's not meant to be erased. But the culture of heaven redeems and breathes life on and repairs and restores different cultural expressions of humanity. So every time the kingdom comes to a culture, you don't want to impose your missionary culture on their culture. When I went to India and I saw all of a sudden there were hymns and pews and they were singing in English and reading the Bible in English, I was very confused. It seemed like missionary failure 101. Shouldn't they be giving us a unique Indian expression of what it is to believe in Jesus? The Bible in their language, their songs from their own heart language, because music is heart language, you know? If you're in a multicultural church, the Story Jim Simbola told, I think it was Jim Simbola said that he's got a a blended church culturally, and when they start to sing gospel, a certain sector of the church is like, the spirit's moving, and then these other people are like, no, we're losing it. And then they start to sing with this, ooh, this salsa beat that makes you want to dance a certain way, and the Spanish-speaking people are like, the spirit's moving, and the other people are like, we're losing it. Then they sing these, dare I say it, white people songs, and this other group is like, the spirit's falling, and the other groups are like, we're losing it, we're losing it. Who's right? They're all right and they're all wrong. What's happening? Their heart language is being used to glorify God, and so they're able to enter in more fully. A lot of us are so arrogant that we actually wrongly presume that our heart language is God's language and the only language He speaks. And then you have stupid stuff like, I wouldn't go to no dry, dusty church that sings hymns and uses liturgy. What? What? Now I'm Pentecostal. Good for you. That's culturally arrogant, dude. What you think you see inside the heart? And because you don't feel it a certain way in a certain church, it must not be happening? That's cultural arrogance. The kingdom's way bigger than that stuff. My point is this. We bring people Jesus, and we then when they follow Jesus, a, a new expression culturally of what Christianity is is supposed to emerge. But that doesn't mean everything in every culture just gets baptized and brought along, does it? Because some cultures have certain areas, in fact, all cultures, have certain things that are out of whack with Jesus, aren't they? Three things that happen when the kingdom hits a culture. There's stuff that's already good as is. It's just affirmed. It's brought right over. Second thing that happens... There's stuff that's pretty dang close, but it's off, and it needs to be redeemed, cleaned back up, and set straight. Stuff that's affirmed, stuff that's redeemed. And the third thing that happens every time the the kingdom hits a culture is there's some stuff that needs to be completely discarded. Just it's wrong. It needs to be left behind. Repent. Affirm, redeem, repent. And this isn't just true of cultures, this is true of us as individuals. When we meet Jesus, there's stuff in our belief, stuff in our life that just gets brought over. It's already good. It was as God intended. And there's stuff that's kind of okay, but it needs, close, but no cigar. It needs to be cleaned up, it needs to be repainted, it needs to be repaired. And then there's stuff that we can't, we can't do it. There's, there's, oh man, when Glenn came from Tanzania, he talked about the polygamy issue. And I got, I mean, that was hard for us. Was it, some of us in the back were like, what do you do with the guys who have three, four wives? It was, it was hard. It's so easy for me to say, well, that's obviously in the repent column, not in the redeem column. Real easy for me to say, because I'm not the one who has to figure out how they're going to deal with that. That seems pretty clear to me. There's stuff in our culture that's in the clear repent column. Although, according to this verse that we're talking about, there will be arguments in the church about whether or not the sin in our culture needs to be repented of or whether it's even sin at all. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. Because he says the time's coming... When people will no longer submit to the gospel, but they'll make the, the gospel submit to their cultural values and preferences and personal agendas. Itching ears. What does itching ears mean? Oh, you just, I just, I gotta itch, I gotta scratch, I gotta, I had to, mmm. Ezekiel says, when you seek a word from the Lord with an idol in your heart, God will answer you through the lens of that idol let me say it another way. Unless we're truly surrendered, what we think we hear from God will not be accurate. What we want so much will cause a filter to where we hear what we want to hear. Which is why I tell people, don't pray about who to marry. That's just silly. Make a godly biblical choice, submit to godly counsel and biblical principles as though God wants to be blamed for the rest of your life for every bonehead thing you guys do wrong. God didn't make me marry my wife, I chose to and I'm going to live with that choice and I'm happy with that choice. But if I married some turd of a woman, that's not anti women by the way. And then I blamed God for that because I prayed real hard and there was a prophet who came up in my church or some well-meaning older lady who's an intercessor who just wants me to be happy and she saw us together and got emotions. Oh, you two are just amazing. Because that happens to people. They get so swept away and the, oh my word, love is so fun. I hope you guys, you're supposed to, when are you going to have babies? I say babies, babies, babies. Run and hide from that lady. <laughs> Don't prophesy mates, dates, and babies. Just shut up. Oh, but it's so, I want to be a matchmaker. It's so exciting. Be quiet. Don't. And then there's the crazy thing. The Lord told me we're going to get married. Bro, you know, if anyone ever says that to you, say, he didn't tell me. You nasty. That last part is free. You don't have to say you nasty. But it's fun. He didn't tell me. Man, I've seen that. And that's like, no, no, that's manipulation. And, and you know what you were hearing? You weren't hearing your spirit. You were hearing your body and your soul. Because Ezekiel, when you seek the Lord with an idol in your heart, your, the answer will be filtered through the idol in your heart. You know, it, you know. I've been praying about it, and I feel like this is an illegitimate government, and we shouldn't have to pay taxes. Dude, that makes great sense. There's a hundred ways to rationalize stuff. Well, you know, my woman is on life support, and she's brain dead. The Lord wants me happy. Surely I can have another wife. That makes sense. There's so many things we can rationalize. Hey, I don't see any verses in the Bible that talk about marijuana explicitly. Let's go smoke some pot. Dude, you can rationalize all sorts of stuff. There's a hundred things you can rationalize a day. When, you're not, when your goal's not, I want to do Jesus' will, I just want to know you. When your goal is, I want to do what I want to do, can we get away with it? Your brain will, f- form, your, your brain will furnish you with a hundred really good sounding reasons. Then you go online. I had a friend and he's like, I want, to, I want to divorce my current wife and I want to remarry my first wife. And I was like, oh dear, don't you think like three failed marriages is enough for you for one life? How about you just stay single for about a decade and just see if that maybe works better? Like, you know what I mean? So I said, here's what I want you to do. And he goes, well, what, do you, what does the church say about this? I was like, it doesn't matter what the church says about this. It doesn't matter what Tim thinks about it. All that matters is what Jesus thinks about it. Right? You ain't going to stand before the Mennonite church and give an account. Praise God. By the way, God didn't invent any denominations ever. He didn't invent any. He makes saints, but he hasn't. But the saints invented denominations. Right? So there ain't no perfect church. There's a perfect Savior. Yeah, he didn't, Jesus didn't invent any denominations. He invented the saints. There's one church. They're, they're all in. Anyone who has real contact with the real Jesus is in. We just tend to be like, well, I'm not a part of you. You are, whether you like it or not. Sorry, Catholics, you are my brothers. You can't stop it. Just because you won't give me communion doesn't mean I won't give you communion. Yep. That's right. And you're keeping me from communion and Jesus has given it to me? That's funny. He's pouring his spirit out all over me. But you won't give me the bread because I didn't sign your card? Come on, baby. There's one church. And I'm not anti-Catholic, by the way. I'm just pointing out. (sighs) You want to justify things, you can't. So I said to this guy, look, it don't matter what the church thinks. It matters what the Bible says. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and I want you to read every single relevant passage in the Old and the New Testament on the subject of divorce and remarriage. And I want you to get back to me and tell me what you are convinced it, it, it says, and what it means, because here's what I want from you. I want you to the best of your ability to submit to what you believe Jesus wants. And that's, that means what the Bible says. So I went home, took a week, came back together. He says, I said, what'd you find? He goes, oh man, it's just like, I can't find any wiggle room. I even, he's like, I even called a, a, Christ, a radio ministry, a Christian radio ministry, to see if there were loopholes because they know the Bible better than me, so maybe they know the loopholes because there's got to be loopholes. That's what we pay lawyers for, find loopholes, because it ain't about justice. It's about who can win. Some people can beat me at an argument even if they're wrong, which is why I say if some clever argument convinced you to be a Christian, then some clever atheist can talk you out of it. But if an encounter with Jesus got you saved... You're going to stay saved, baby. I'm going to miss you when you don't have that commentary going on. I like it. Um, So he says, there's no loophole. I can't find a loophole. I talked to the radio ministry, and finally they got frustrated with me, and they're like, it feels like you're trying to get away with something. And he's like, dang. I said, so what are you going to do, buddy? And he goes, well, I guess I'll just do what I want and hope Jesus can forgive me. Sounds like humans. So that's what he did. Okay. Individuals, as we surrender, we may have to surrender things to Jesus that are biblically okay for others. Last time I checked, weren't we supposed to be led by the Spirit? So when I'm led by the Spirit, Jesus might lead me differently than he leads you. Did you know I don't even touch alcohol? And it's not because I'm convinced that Christians can't drink. My parents drink. They drink well. They drink to the glory of God. I've never seen them drunk. Although there was that one time that they confiscated my alcohol and didn't realize they were drinking it in the orange juice that one morning. I was a kid. I I didn't tell them. Something wrong with this orange juice? Me. Oh, man, I'm not going to get in worse trouble than telling myself now. Yeah. Carol, this out, this, this, orange juice tastes like it's turned. No, no, it ain't turned. It's just $15 more rich. Yeah. I should probably cut that out of the podcast. But the Holy Spirit led me, I don't know, nine years ago. He said, put it away. Why? I don't know. Maybe even though I wasn't getting drunk, he knows something about what it was in my life. Because I was at the point where every single night it was like I was looking for, I would start to salivate and long for it all day long, my little time with my little drink. I didn't get drunk, but I was leaning on it like it was a um, Sanctuary. And I kept looking in my Bible going, but this is acceptable. Jesus, you turn the water to wine. I don't understand. And he said, just put it away. So I put it away, and boom, it's like I went into this high-powered rocket ship of intimacy with Jesus. After that, I was like, dude, what else? And he didn't say anything else. Did you know your last known orders are your standing orders? But sometimes we're like, hmm... God's not talking. Well, have you obeyed the last thing he said? No. Okay, all right, genius. When was that? 12 years ago. Oh, my goodness. You know, progress, when you take a wrong turn, means going back. Sometimes the only way forward is to go back. So then I dumped it all out, and I haven't touched it since. And I hang out with Christians who love Jesus, and they drink in front of me, and they don't sin, and, and I even talk to Jesus about it. I'm like, Lord, come on. It's just beer. They christened my dad's uh, cabin with whiskey. I'm smelling it. I shouldn't have smelled it. Salivating. Sorry if I'm causing someone to stumble in here by even talking about it. Because I know for some of you, you, you you're, like, you're kind of like maybe the Lord sees me. Some people can't handle it. And if you can't handle it, don't. Some people can't, drink, can't eat one piece of gum. They'll eat the whole pack of gum. Some people can't eat one potato chip. They eat the whole bag. You know what I'm talking about? Because some people have an obsessive personality. And if you have an obsessive personality, you might have to have a little more discipline in your life than some other people. Do you know what I'm talking about? So, the Holy Spirit, when you're surrendering to the Holy Spirit, He might ask you to give up things that other Christians can do to the glory of God. But, but for you, for you, you know in your conscience He's leading you this way. And it's really fascinating. Paul talks to Timothy. He says, in every house, in every house, there's fine china and there's toilet bowls and there's cooking utensils. And we get to choose, we get to choose whether we want to be the fine china or we want to be the toilet. There's people in the kingdom who just want to get saved and, and they just, where's saved? Is it right here saved? I'm saved. And then they like tie an anchor down and lean across the line. They're just messing with the world, messing with sin, messing, with, they're not paying attention to their soul. They're not running after, heart after Jesus. And then there's other people, they have, they, have they, they carve out time in every day to be intimate with the Lord and they pay attention to their soul. And, and they pay attention to how their own behavior is affecting what, what, how their soul's doing. Are you, are you with me? Yes. And when we pay attention to how things affect our soul, we might discover that things that aren't necessarily sin are distracting us from Jesus. Amen. Where good things have become the most important thing. And, and unless we protect the most important thing from good things, Those good things can be the sneaky substitute. Because for some people, heinous, terrible, evil sin is the thing they do instead of Jesus. But for other people, good things are what they do instead of Jesus. Are Are we okay? And what I'm trying to say is if our heart has idols in it, to that extent, most of us, if we're normal, are going to justify it. So when, when something begins to convict us, we'll argue back. There's something really cool. I don't know if you have, you, have you had that feeling that something is just spanking you? Some sort of, some song or some prayer or some word or some message from the Lord is, is it's like a good hurt. It's challenging you and you're going, I feel called to surrender I feel called to do better. I feel called to go closer. And so conviction is an upgrade. It's not, a, it's not a shame on you. It's a shame off you, and let's go higher. I, I, I keep saying this in here. I like the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I remember, getting, I remember being away from anointed biblical teaching for a while and being at, God forgive me, help me, being at college, and hearing dry, dusty l- lectures. And then we went back to my missions agency thing, REACH, the, our denominations short-term missions thing, for a special weekend they called uh, Springboard or something like that, where they brought back old teams from previous years for a weekend where they would sort of pour back into us again, get us together, and they brought in a special speaker. And the guy was talking about abiding in Christ John chapter 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you'll abide in me and my word abides in you, you'll bear much fruit. You can do nothing on your own. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you'll just ab- abide in me, it's going to be amazing. And I, and I remembered him teaching and I sensed the, the anointing on his words, that it was not dry, dusty lecture. There was power on his words. There was life on his words. And there was conviction on me and, and he, at, he'd gone on for probably an hour, and he was like, well, we should probably stop and get lunch. And I was like, no, keep going. I was so starved for anointed teaching, not just intellectually helpful, bright, brilliant concepts that I was getting at college, Bible, like a, an actual Christian college where I was studying Bible and theology. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. What well, was missing... Was this, this down in here, speaking to me from this down in here, not this up here. That that was some, uh, hurts so good, you know, good old-fashioned conviction, anointing. So anything that we're not willing to surrender is an idol. A lot of us are like, "Oh, in the Old Testament they had idols. They built statues, they put false god names on them. Those were idols. They were a big deal." But now we don't have idols. We don't we don't worship idols? Au contraire. Oh contraire. Anything can be an idol. Anything you seek as ultimate. Anything you believe is the source of your life. Anything you seek is the source of your joy and happiness. Anything that you're trying to draw security and hope and identity and pleasure and comfort from, if it isn't God, it's an idol. idol. Anything placed in your heart at that position of ultimacy. And I think, friends, that's probably why the Lord was like, "Mm, Tim, alcohol don't mix. Please don't feel judged if, if you're a responsible, faithful You know, because Jesus drank, Paul drank, Peter drank, the New Testament apostles drank, the Catholic, most of the church for all of history has drank to the glory of God. Drunkenness is a sin, but wine is a blessing. Sin to be a slave to anything. You know the the drill, my five things. Please don't feel like I'm pooping on you if you're a faithful Christian and you drink well to the glory of God. But if you drink to get drunk, come on, friend, you are in the flesh. You are displeasing to the Lord. Big smile. (laughs) Oh, I got fired from my job. Let's go drink. Friend, that's an idol. And it doesn't even be, that's not necessarily drink. I got fired from my job. Let's waste all kinds of money I don't have. Swipe credit card, Amazon.com. Let's buy happiness. Friend, that's an idol. So many things can be idols. Listen, listen. If Jesus is Lord of your affections, your heart, then when you lose in life, you're okay. Because you're drawing your sustenance from him. When you lose your idols, you are crushed. You are devastated. That's how you can tell. When your hope is dashed completely, that thing took the wrong spot. Are you with me? It is 1205. Well, you know. final paragraph, prayer team can come on up. We are smart enough to fool ourselves into thinking we're not compromising biblical truth when we are. We're smart enough. We're smart enough to fool ourselves. We're clever enough to make a case for what we want to do being, well, really what God wants after all. and he even says they're going to they're going to draw they're going to they're going to hire on biblical scholars to tell them what they want to believe they want to hear. isn't that amazing oh. i got a friend who does this on a specific topic He'll ask me about it later he says but the best of scholarship says this this and this and i'm like what scholars which ones tell me which ones uh-huh yes exactly they had an agenda Smart people who can twist the Bible into a shape that we like better. I like to say you can put a lot of lipstick and a dress on a pig, but it is still a pig. I mean, that would be fun. Should we do that one day? Bad bad ideas, bad theology, but we're just trying.
1: I was thinking a lot about some stuff I was talking about Wednesday night with the youth about the quote that Dan Muller said, which is... There's a difference between knowing about God than knowing God. And I did actually talk on John 15, on the grape and the vine, and just my heart is for everyone in here, Um, and I speak this for myself too, to not make our relationship with Jesus a checklist. Okay, I read the Bible today. Oh, I prayed my list. It needs to be a relationship where you're completely, and I was talking about marriage, like connected, knowing him, because that's where, when you're knowing him, and you are connected with him, where those things like breaking off of idols and your true transformation will happen. So I want to go after that today. If anyone wants a new... Hunger, a new desire, a new love, to fall in love with Jesus again. I would like to pray for you for that today.
2: A couple of weeks ago, Tim um, spoke about how when we speak and when we post on Facebook, sometimes our words don't benefit the people that are hearing. And in um, with the overturn of Roe versus Wade, there's been... My heart's been so broken by all the online noise. Um, I feel like many Christians have spoken in a way that's judgmental. And what Jesus wants more than anything is for us to take shame off of men and women who have um, made choices that they regret. And that can be done by bringing them to a loving Heavenly Father who's waiting to redeem and restore and forgive. And um, so I just encourage you as you interact with the world to remember that there's people, probably even in the sound of my voice this morning, who have regrets... And you don't know who those people close to you are that have regrets. And so you've posted something or spoken something thoughtlessly, and that person is, is closing even tighter around that shame because they don't feel safe. And then Satan continues to speak into that lie. Let's be people that speak in a way that makes people safe so that they can come and they can receive wholeness and forgiveness. And so today, if you have regrets because of lost motherhood or lost fatherhood, I would love to be able to, we would love to be able to pray with you and begin the journey to wholeness. And as we engage our world, brothers and sisters, let's call people to a place where they can be restored instead of pushing them into a place where they close down and they spend another decade in silence being um, taunted by the enemy because of a mistake that they made. God wants us to be hope bringers and life givers.
3: That is. Um, So if you're sitting here today, and of course the most important thing always is, if you don't know Jesus, if you listen to what Tim said today and you just are feeling this like wrestling going on, um, there won't be anything or anyone that'll be able to stop you from coming up here. And I've shared it before. I remember the day. I remember it. I could take you to exactly where I was sitting in a church of 500 people that I knew no one. But my life was a wreck. And your life doesn't have to be a wreck. (laughs) So don't wait till it is because it will become a wreck, trust me, to say, you know what, me in charge of me has just really screwed things up. And in my nursing career, I did ICU nursing for quite a while. I can't, I'm going to tell you right now, there's a lot, there's a lot of people. I'm not going to say in here. I'm just saying in the world, there are a lot of people that think, well, maybe tomorrow. Do you know how many people I took care of? They didn't have a tomorrow. And they are, it, they're etched. Like I can, I can take you and show you the room they were in. I would probably recognize some of their family. You don't, know when, you don't know when your day is up. You don't know what's going to happen. You just don't. So I'm not, when, when the Holy Spirit said that during worship, it just felt like a punch to the stomach. There are people that are going to hell, and what are we doing about it? Today doesn't have to be a day where you walk back out and go, my life's okay. I'm not ready to surrender. I, I remember Rusty and I used to go to... Um, for a season we were at the Wednesday morning prayer breakfast in Seaford and the the guys from Teen Challenge were there every Wednesday. I don't know if any of you in the, from the area know Richard Houston cuz he's really can Yeah. Okay, yeah. So Yes, yes, at Lowe's, yep. Um, he was he was talking to one of the guys from from Teen the, one of the students and The guy said to him, I've never forgotten this. This has been several years ago. I don't even think we were living here yet. He said, if I say yes to Jesus, do I have to give up? And he listed, I think it was alcohol and cigarettes. And and I remember Richard looking at this guy so full of Jesus. He was just so tender. And he goes, no, but you'll want to. was like can I make my words that short (laughs) probably not (laughs) isn't it and I thought yeah I I look at where Rusty and I were and the things that we were like didn't think we would want to give up and walk away from became they just weren't a big deal so if you're there and that's you man we've got a great we got a great group up here that their heart is to share Jesus with you and make sure that you don't leave here the same way that you came in. So if you're struggling with shame over some decisions that you've made or you almost made and you're still carrying that, man, please come up and see Carolyn. Her heart is just so big for that. And then if you just are in a kind of a stale, complacent place, which I've been to... <laughs> It's so good to have somebody pray with you. Break that off, okay? If you need healing for anything, please come see Stan or a word. If you need a prophetic word, um, please come see Stan. So uh, I'm just gonna pray a blessing over everyone. I want y'all to have a really safe 4th of July, rest of the weekend around the fireworks and whatever you're doing. Um, I just pray safety over you. I pray that you make good choices pray, but have a good time. (laughs) And, um, we, (laughs) right. And, uh, we just, we love you and we just thank you for, for being here. Um, in Jesus name. Amen.